Well, good morning. My name is Jared. Uh, I am one of the pastors at Suncrest. I kind of oversee our community involvement and our partnerships all around the globe. And so um, I always, when I'm speaking somewhere new, I put a picture up of my family. Um, so that way you can see I'm kind of a normal person. Um, that way you th there's a chance you might think I'm a normal person. There's a couple things I want to point out in this picture. Um, one, my wife is 4'11". So as a 6'4 man, I didn't know this, but when I married a 4'11 woman, that means every family picture we take, I stand in the back like this <laughs> so that we're all in the frame together. So in case you were curious, that's what's happening here. The other thing I'd like to point out, Alice, my daughter, she's 13. Um, you can see on her forehead, that is a uh, mark that shows she is becoming a woman. That is from a curling iron. Uh, I think every woman has to do that at some point in their life, and I'm so glad it happened the week before Easter. Uh, and so uh, she's totally embarrassed. I'm hoping she doesn't watch this, uh, so that's great. Uh, my son Gibson is 15, and um, Gibson was born an old man. Um, like... He's a freshman in high school, and I don't know if this says anything about him, but like when he was picking a foreign language, he chose Latin, <laughs> and like he's in Latin club. <laughs> yeah. So like if that kind of paints a picture of the kind of person he is. In fact, um, Wes started at Suncrest when he was like 21, 22 years old. He was an intern, and he would come and hang out with us all the time. And I don't know if you know this about Wesley, um, but he doesn't have what you would call an inside voice. Uh, <laughs> It's okay, I don't either. Um, so like, we'd put the kids to bed and we'd be hanging out in our living room and my son would be at the end of the hall. I told you he was born an old man. At four years old, he'd come out in his robe, <laughs> scratching his head and being like, can you guys hold it down? I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> so like Wes is the only Wes we know and my kids still to this day call him Loud Wesley. <laughs> and so when I said I was coming down here, they're like, oh, you're going to be with Loud Wesley. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to have fun. Uh, and so I got to know him in uh, the summer of 2009. So you got to go in the way back machine. And Wes was so cool and fashion forward <laughs> that he was rocking the double polo with the pop collars. And, uh, I, you know, I would love to, I actually texted someone, I was like, that happened, right? And, like, my wife responded, oh, yes. <laughs> and so, uh, he would also wear scarves in the middle of summer with the double pop collar. It was great. My other, <laughs> yes, yes, he was so cool. Uh, my other favorite story of Wes, and then I'll actually move on to some, like, serious points, was... You know, it was a nice summer evening, so it was like, you know, 50 degrees out, and we were doing a bonfire outside of Chicago, right? And uh, we're in the backyard, and I had a little fire pit in my backyard, and I was starting it the redneck way, which I know some of you might go, hey, redneck's offensive. I've never met a redneck that wasn't proud to be called a redneck, all right? So I do it the redneck way, which is pour gasoline on it, and then throw something on there. So you can pretend the fire pit's right here. I'm right on the other side of it. Wes is standing here with his hands in his jacket. I poured gasoline on it right in front of him. <laughs> and I, like, I'm expecting him to take a step back. He doesn't. <laughs> He's right here like this. And I light it and whoa. And he takes a step back and then goes to take a second step back. And there was a bench. And he just goes whoa. <laughs> 
It was one of my favorite moments ever. <laughs> and it was like, he's like, what are you doing? I was like, I didn't know why you didn't move. <laughs> he's like, you should have said something. I was like, I thought it was obvious. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm going to end with this story of Wesley. And that was about three months into his internship. I was the youth pastor at the time and I was leading a retreat. And there were 35 students there. And there was some drama that is irrelevant at this point, some 13 years later, right? But it was so frustrating. I had this intern that was not Wesley, a different intern, that had made a bonehead mistake and was being an idiot about it. And I literally wanted to punch him in the face. Like, I'm, I'm a grown man, I'm a pastor, and I just want to punch this guy because he's being such an idiot. And at the end of the night, we went outside and we did a little campfire and worship. And Wes was the worship intern at the time. And so I said, hey, man, I'll give you like 25 bucks if you come and just lead worship for this thing. And he's like, deal. Uh, <laughs> and he led worship that night. And in that moment, when he was leading worship, everything changed. And like the anger that was inside of me melted a little bit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the reason we're here is for these kids and to help them grow. And even though I want to murder. Sorry, murder this kid, this other intern, like it was just a it was a special moment. And, I, and that's when I knew there was something special about him. And so we've been friends for a long time. And so he asked me to come down and speak. And I'm honored to be here uh, with you today. And so. We're in uh, week two of this uh, let's talk about mental health uh, and isolation is the topic. Uh, to be real honest with you, he's like, hey, you want to do this? And I'm like, sure. Like, I'm going to come talk to a group of people. I don't know about mental health things. Like, cool. I'll take the isolation one. That seems like the, the, the easiest uh, of them. And so um, just to give you a little bit about myself, um, like, I'm the youngest of four. I'm an extrovert. Uh, like, we could have people over every day of the week, and I'd be happy. Like, um, like, when everybody was staying at home and, like, the introverts were loving it early in COVID, like, I, stay, I worked from home for, like, two weeks because I couldn't handle it. Um, some people have said that I could be a lot. Um, and I know now that's not a compliment. <laughs> like... Uh, and so I, I know that about myself. Um, I'll never forget, I was a freshman in college. I, went to, I grew up in St. Louis. I went to college in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so it was like an eight, eight and a half hour drive. And the first time I ever did that alone, this is 1999, 2000, so it's no cell phones. You know, there weren't podcasts. There weren't, uh, you know, audio books were like something old people did. Uh, and so like it was just music. And like, about five hours in, I had to stop and get gas. And once again, this is how old long ago it was, you had to go inside to pay. And I'll never forget, I stopped in this small town in like Southern Illinois. And like, I start talking to the cashier. And, Cause I'm like, I've been in the car alone too long. <laughs> and it was like five hours. <laughs> and uh, so like isolation for me, like as an extrovert, like, it's not that I never want to be alone, but like my natural tendency is to want to be around people and be connected with people. 
But there have been times in my life where I am not healthy, where I'm in a bad place. And I notice one of the key (laughs) indicators is that I start to withdraw. I start wanting to spend time alone. There are things I do to recharge by myself, and I think that's important. But I found myself gravitating to those things much more. And um, I found um, this meme that I think helps us understand isolation. And so um, it says, I think I'll stay inside. It's too peopley outside. And, and I think the leading cause of isolation is that people are dumb. Um, I, I think like the, one of the reasons we, le- we end up being isolated from people is because we have interactions with people and we get so frustrated with them and we get hurt by them and so we withdraw to protect ourselves. And it actually has a negative impact on our own mental health. A lot of times we talk about isolation. There's some ways we talk about it. And, and so I'm going to go through some of these words and it's kind of like a scale of how, <laughs> how much isolation is affecting you. But the first step like, of isolation is that like, I feel disconnected, which kind of implies like there have been times in your life where you were connected. Like, and you're like, I'm just in a season where like, the connections I used to have, I don't have, I moved, I went through a job change, uh, you know, some, something's going on relationally, and so I just feel disconnected. But the next layer to that is like, I feel distant. I feel like I've been hurt by people and I don't want to let them hurt me again. And so I, I, the, the wounds are still too fresh. So I'm just going to kind of keep people away. And, and so we describe our isolation as like, I just feel distant. The next layer to that is um, I actually feel cut off. And, and that is b- maybe because other people have pushed you away whether it's because of their own decisions that you've tried to walk through with them and they didn't like your advice or decisions you made that hurt them and you don't even realize how you hurt them, but people that you felt connected to once before have literally cut you out of their lives and it hurts. And it leads to a type of isolation that uh, is really discouraging. And I actually think the most dangerous form of feeling isolation is when we start talking about being lonely. And and oftentimes when we feel lonely, we're actually interacting with people. We go to work. We have relationships at work. We can be around family. We, We could even do some of the other things that we've always done. We come to church and we can be in a crowd and still feel lonely. And it's because things have happened and led us to a place of isolation where even the people around us don't know us. And it's a, an accumulative effect of all of those things above. And so, um, as we talk about this stuff, sometimes we slide into those categories and we don't even realize it's happening. And if we can be honest for a minute, like COVID didn't help. Like if we're just being honest, right? Like 
Think about some of the things we've said that have become common vernacular in the last two years, right? Social distancing. Literally keeping people away. Don't touch people. Or I actually love this. I'm an extrovert, but I love this. Like touchless pickup. How awesome is that? Like you just pull up the target, you show them a code, and they put it in your trunk. I thought it was going to save me money, but my wife still spends more somehow. I don't, I love her. She's great. I don't know how we spend more. Like you don't even have the impulse buys, except you do because you just push the button. It's a miracle. But there's other things, right? Like early in COVID, you guys might have heard this phrase, like keep your circle small. Like we intentionally cut out people from our lives uh, to protect ourselves. So we, We'd work from home. If you were exposed, you had to quarantine yourself. If you were sick, you had to quarantine yourself. You had to self-isolate. I'm a two-time survivor of COVID, right? Like, I'm real dumb. I got it twice already. I'm vaccinated, boosted, and still got it twice. A modern miracle. And, like, the second time I got it, Everyone else in my household had it, and they're like, well, are you guys self-isolating? I'm like, no, that's dumb, and then I got it. Like, like there's so many of these words and terms now like, uh, that have compounded our natural tendencies to isolate. Um, and, and so as we look at it today, as we look at what the Bible has to say about these truths, um, I think there's a a really simple truth, and it actually starts in the very beginning of the Bible when God was creating the earth. And it said, you know, he, he was creating the stars in the sky, and when it's done, he's like, it was good. And the birds in the air, and it was good. And the, and the animals on the ground, and it was good. And the oceans and the ground, and separating those, and it was good. And then it says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's the first time during creation he's like, oh, that's not good. And oftentimes this talks about marriage, but I think this also applies to our ability to connect relationally with those that are around us. And and 3,000 years ago, this guy named Solomon, who uh, many would argue was one of the wisest men to ever live, he says this, two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Now, as I go through these scriptures, if you've been around church for a minute, this isn't earth-shattering news. (laughs) Like, this isn't brand new information. And and so my question is, why do we still struggle with it so much? So why, why is this still a challenge that we have? It's really cool. When I turn my head, it drops down, and then I pull on it. It's a great system. Um, and we're going to kind of go through some of the excuses or explanations, because sometimes they're an excuse, uh, and it's a cop-out, but sometimes it's an explanation as to why this is happening. So busyness can absolutely be a factor. Our past hurts can be a factor. When we're struggling with other mental illness stuff, it absolutely leads us to more isolation. And then fourth, It's kind of like flossing. We know we should do it, but unless you're Wesley Blackburn, you don't floss every day. (laughs) 
All right, I don't know if you guys know that about his oral hygiene, but the guy's a machine about flossing, all right? He, he, he's, it's one of those things that it came up last night at dinner. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Like it's such a weird thing to remember about a friend, but as soon as something said, was said about his flossing, I'm like, oh yeah, he does that every day. Like, it's weird. Uh, I, uh, I live in the meme of like, have you guys seen the meme, right, where the dentist is like, when was the last time you floss? And the caption is like, bro, you were there. Like, 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 that's, uh, you know, so many of us, like, when we start talking about relationships, we end up in isolation because we we know the truth. We know we need to. We know we need to floss more, but we just, we don't get there. And so we're going to kind of go through these. The first one I want to talk to, talk a little bit about about is the idea of being busy. And uh, part of our culture today is that we are praised for being busy. Like, if, if you're not busy, like, we oftentimes look at people who aren't busy and go, what's wrong with you? But even the busiest people I know find time for the things that matter most to them. The busiest people I know still have time to binge watch a show on Netflix <laughs> or uh, do you guys get the like weekly report on your iPhone that tells you how many hours you spent on your phone? It's like the most depressing moment of my week. It's like, I was on my phone for four hours this week? You lie. Oh, I guess that's true. And some of you guys are judging me because your number's way lower than four, and then others are judging me because it's way higher than four, right? And so like, I knew, I knew, uh, yeah, per week, yeah, 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 so like, And we're like, I don't have time to make friends, but I have five hours a week to stare at my phone. Uh, I have time to watch the U.S. average is three hours of television a day. Like, and so we, we find reasons and we find time for the things that matter most to us in life. The Bible tells us um, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And early in church, the the early church where this was written, this was talking about house churches. For the most part, all of our churches at this time met in homes. And, And so there was a relational connection that goes beyond just this, like, hour that we come together for a worship service. And so, uh, like, there's an idea implication and like don't give up meeting together because in that time you get to be known and you come out of that isolation and and so the busyness is one of those things where until it becomes a priority it's an easy excuse sometimes the reason we drift into isolation is because of past hurts and um this is very real I, I've been in ministry now for about 20 years, and there is a church in central Illinois that I worked at where, all kidding aside, when I worked there, I would jokingly say, well, if the wind blows the right way, I whistle, because I've been stabbed in the back so many times. And when we moved away, it was really hard, because it's like halfway between where my parents live in St. Louis and where I live outside of Chicago. We have to drive by it on the highway. And like, if I can just be honest, as a pastor, it was hard for me not to salute 
that town when we drove by, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> like, I'm past that now. It, you know, it's been three years. But early on, like, there was so much anger in me from the hurt. And, and, and so because of those hurts, we withdraw in isolation. There's, a, there's an interesting verse in the book of Ephesians in the Bible that, that I've always missed a little bit of the meaning. And as I was preparing, it just came out to me. And it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, and all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And, and there's a relational element to this, like the, the evil in the verse couple, the get, all, get rid of all the bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. Like those stem, like when you start looking at that list of words, that stems from pain. All of those stem from past hurts. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Because if we're going to live in a world where we're not isolated, we're going to have to live in proximity to others, which means people's behaviors are going to hurt us, like whether intentionally or unintentionally. And so we're going to have to learn how to be tenderhearted and forgive one another if we're going to actually find those life-giving relationships. So the third thing that leads us into isolation is the idea of other mental illness. And can I just say, Wes did a great job of hitting this last week where he talked about uh, Elijah and in, used the first Kings chapter uh, 19 where it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And he willfully chose isolation. Because he was depressed. And so many of us, when we start to feel anxiety, when we f start to feel depression, when we start to realize our addiction, we withdraw. Because we don't know how to process what we're going through. And we need help, but we probably don't want help. Or we want to be away from this, but it's going to hurt, and so we want to protect ourselves from that hurt. And so we withdraw from those that love us, those that are going to help bring us through that. And so one of the reasons maybe you're experiencing isolation is because you have a mental health thing that you need to work through. And the people that are around you, you're like, I don't know. I can't talk about depression in front of this family member because they're going to judge me. Or this friend. I, I don't know. And, and so isolation just compounds it. I'll never forget my first year as a full-time youth pastor. <laughs> I took 25 kids to this conference in southern Illinois, and we had this one late add-on. His name was Johnny, and Johnny was weird. Like, uh, and not just like a little weird, like he didn't want to be there, and his mom made him, which didn't help. And so we're talking 2005, 2006, so like think full emo, like black painted fingernails, like, like the dog chain necklace that, you know, has spikes, like, and, and like he 
basically refused to talk to any of the adults on the trip because he's like that angry at the world. And so I put him in a dorm room with two brothers. One of them was a college student that was helping chaperone the trip because I'm like, I need adult supervision on him. Um, and his younger brother was in high school. So the three of them were in a room. And so it's like the second night. And I'm an old man. I was in my 20s. And so I was having a good time in another room. But apparently they were playing poker in this room, which is fine. No big deal. Uh, but Johnny didn't want to play. And that was fine. Like, he doesn't have to. It's okay. Uh, but he decided to go take a shower, and an hour and a half went by, and he hadn't come out of the shower yet, the bathroom yet. And it was like one of those dorm rooms where there was like the bathroom in the middle between two rooms and a suite. And so, like, after about an hour and a half, they came and got me. It's like midnight, and like he'd been in there since like 1030. And like, they're like, I'm pretty sure I heard him throwing up. And like, I'm like, I'm 25 years old. I'm like, I am not prepared for this. Like, College did not equip me to handle this. I don't know what is going on. And so I knock on the door, and like I don't, and he's like, eh. And I was like, hey, are you clothed? Right? First check. He's like, yes. And I, so I open the door, and it's like thick with steam. And uh, he's just sitting on the floor, and he's fully dressed, and he's crying. And I'm like, are you okay, buddy? And he doesn't respond. I didn't know what to do. So I just leaned against the wall and slid down next to him. And I just sat there with them. And the next 20 minutes might have been the longest 20 minutes of my life. Because he didn't talk for 20 minutes. And like a couple of times he would start crying and start to try to talk and then stop. And when he'd do that, I'd say, hey, there's no rush. We're, I'm here whenever you're ready. And he finally let out that he didn't want to be here. His mom's talking about moving to Florida. And he doesn't know anybody here. And he's just crying, like that ugly cry where there's like saliva and snot. And eventually like we get to the point where it's like I find out he wanted to go to bed but he didn't know how to have that conversation with the other guys in his room because <laughs> he wasn't equipped with those tools to have that conversation and, and so he was so frustrated and scared and miserable that he had this meltdown in the bathroom where he was literally puking up blood like and I just remember sitting with him and after time he finally opened up. And I was like, dude, I know you don't want to be here. I, and I'm sorry that you have to be here with us. Uh, but I promise there's some really cool people on this trip. And, you know, I prayed with them. And, like, we come out and they're still playing cards. I'm like, all right, guys, wrap it up. Get out of here. We're going to bed now. Uh, you know. Uh, and the next day, I, I pulled aside some of the students that I trusted. And I said, hey, make sure you make him feel included. Invite him to sit with you. Take him on with you to do stuff in the afternoon. And by the end of the week, he was a different person. 
because those kids pulled him out of that self-isolation. And I don't know what mental health issue he was struggling with, but now I look back like 20 years later, and it's clear there was something. And uh, we just tend to withdraw when we start to feel those symptoms coming on. And the last reason that we, we struggle with isolation is that we know that we should do it. It's like flossing. We know we should do it, but we just put it off for a lot of reasons. And I actually want to break down some scripture that I think might help us understand this concept better. There's a, there's a couple of verses. I'm going to read them, and it's written by this guy named John who knew Jesus really well. And it says, in John chapter 8, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. And then later on, he writes some books, and the first one was uniquely named 1 John. Um, And then it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And I'll be honest, I just, I had this taught to me in a different way that I, I'm like, I'm in my 40s and I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Because there's a common misconception that being in the dark means being bad and sinning, right? Like when I was taught this as a kid, Like, being outside of the light means I'm making bad choices. I'm not doing the right thing. And if I'm good and not sinning, I'm walking in the light. But when you look at these verses, it's the idea that darkness, when our house is dark, at night our house is dark, it doesn't mean it's bad. But there are things that are unknown. Because when you can't see things, you can't know what's around. And that's why walking in the dark is dangerous, because you don't see that you left that chair out, and so you walk into it and you trip and fall. But what light does is allows us to be seen. It reveals what is around us. And it allows us, as God's people, to be known. And so walking in light actually gives this implication that like you're walking being known, not just by God, but also by his people. And it says we have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light. So how how do we find these places where we can fight off isolation? There's a couple of things like This sounds a little goofy, right? But like if you've been in church for a minute, these next steps literally are next steps Wes talked about at the beginning of the message, before the message, right? Join a group. You need to be in proximity to people. That's the way it's going to happen. Join a serving team. Some of the closest relationships I have through church over the years are with guys that I served next to. And this is more for men. Oftentimes men, we we don't talk about who we are and our feelings unless we have an excuse to like spend time together. Like I've got a, I lead our uh, Habitat for Humanity team and like the men's construction team. Like those guys are like some of the closest guys literally in six months because guys won't sit and talk about their feelings. But if they're swinging a hammer next to each other, somehow they can. It's, It's a miracle. 
Like, and, and those guys are connecting in a way that they never would before. And, and I think the third is be willing to be a friend. Like, you, you don't have to have all those programs to actually be known. You could actually find someone you connect with. You don't have to be in a group with them, and, and you can be known in that way. I, I will say, you know, one of the things of being in the light is, you know, if you confess your sins to one another, you know, it's like, can I just say, like, take it easy on that early? I'll never forget, years ago, about five, six years ago, I, I moved to a new church, and I started a small group, and we're sitting around in the living room, and I'm like, hey guys, like, let's just tell us your name, a little bit about your family, what you do for a living, and why you're here. And we go around the circle, and it gets to Chris, and uh, Chris goes, hey, uh, my name's Chris, uh, this is actually my ex-wife, uh, yeah, we have the same last name, we're actually divorced, uh, but we live together. Uh, it's because I had a drug addiction and she kicked me out and uh, she doesn't trust me still. And I'm going, stop talking. I'm just dying. I'm like, this is not helpful. <laughs> like, this is way too much information too fast. Normal people are going to run from you. Like, take it easy. Like, uh, and, and so there's definitely that balance when you're getting to know new people. Like, understanding how to wade into those deeper conversations without being Chris, okay? So like we all got our issues and like the old adage of like everybody's normal until you get to know them, unless you're Chris and you lead with that, <laughs> right? And, and so like if you're nervous, like, like I don't know, can I share who I really am? I'm kind of got these weird things about me. I promise you everyone else in this room has weird stuff about them too that they're desperately trying to hide. And uh, that's just part of people. Everyone's weird on some level about something, all right? So uh, you don't have to lead with it, but at some point you probably should get to a place where you have relationships where you can. I think also sometimes another thing that's really important to remember is it doesn't always happen over time and you do have to put a little bit of work into it. I told you when I started I was at Suncrest and I was gone for seven years and I came back. And in the summer of 2019, we moved back to Northwest Indiana outside of Chicago, where I had deep, meaningful relationships the previous time I had been there. But I had been gone for seven years. And all of a sudden, these relationships that I thought were really strong, they, they weren't as strong as they once were. Some of the people that were really integral in my life, our lives weren't compatible anymore because of their schedule, because of our schedule. You know, people that used to come every Thursday night and hang out at our house because they were college students and they were in a group with my wife and they would have a Bible study for 30 minutes and stay for four hours. Like, they're moms now <laughs> and they have their own kids and they can't come do that. And like, some of the guys I was close with, like, they moved away or they walked away from their faith. And six months after moving back, I remember sitting in a meeting and going, feel real lonely and I have all these friends but I'm still feeling really lonely because we're not actually in that deeper connection and, and so I had to I'm a leader by nature I'm a gung-ho kind of person like ready fire aim you know so uh, I started a group and I started a men's group and some of those relationships within three or four months, like it's like, that's what I was missing. And, and so I just want to remind you guys, 
These are not my words. These are from the Bible. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So I don't know where you guys are. I'm going to be on a plane tomorrow heading back to Chicago. I want this for you to have those relationships. And so if you don't know how to do that, I just want to encourage you, talk to Wes, uh, get connected, join a group. That's going to be so life-giving for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you created us to need one another. And Lord, I know sometimes because of things that happen, because of personality traits, because of being introverted, we, we tend to self-isolate when we don't need to. And so I just want to encourage uh, everyone in this room to take those steps so that they can be known, so that they can be real, revealed, so that they can be in the light. In Jesus' name I pray.